Joel, I was, dude, do we have the same shirt on? Yeah, I just want to say you're looking good. Um, I was just a little confused about that weekend to remember thing, bro. It said that, that they choose, they've chosen destinations that make it a true getaway, and they have all these pictures of Hawaii. So are we going to have pictures of Hawaii at, at the Marriott, or how does that work? Okay, all right. It's just a, I was a little confused. Okay, um, good morning. It's, gonna, it's just going to be a great morning. Could we stand together uh, in honor of God's word? If you have a Bible with you, turn to Romans 7. Otherwise, we're going to have the words up here. And if you want to follow along, I'm I'm reading from the screen now so that everybody has the same words. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do, but I do, whatever, you got it. Let's just go, let's just move to 16. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law 
might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, that's it. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, please help us. Please help us as we open our hearts to try to grasp what you are speaking. Lord, in so many ways, our text today is absolutely key to our victory, absolutely key to our honesty and our integrity, absolutely key to how the gospel actually works in human lives. Lord, please hide me behind the cross and pour a spirit of wisdom and revelation upon our minds and our hearts. And Lord, our promise to you is that we will give you the glory for every good thing that happens here. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title, title today is Spiritual Loss. Today we are going to look at three spiritual laws. To introduce it, I want us to think about the nature of physical laws. Laws are, are they're, they're something that are impartial, aren't they? They apply to everybody. And they are inflexible. The law is the law. It's very harsh. I want you for a moment to think about the law of gravity. It is a physical law that God has put in place. And it doesn't matter how sincere you are, you are not going to be able to transcend the law of gravity. It's not going to make an exception for you. I have a a good friend who, he's a real idealist. When he was a little boy, he spend his time and energy watching and studying Superman. And he wanted to be Superman. Superman was his hero. So he got his little outfit on and he got on the garage. And with all sincerity in his heart, he jumped off that garage. And he broke his leg. Now, the law is impartial. But God, God... Is, is partial. God is personal. God loved this little kid. God saw this accident about to happen. And certainly God could have intervened and transcended the law of gravity and make this kid not fall and break his leg. But God chose rather, he certainly limited the damage, could have been permanent damage, But he chose to teach this young boy that he loved about the law of gravity. 
so that the rest of his life, he would know there is a law called gravity. And that you need to respect that. You need to live within that law so that that law doesn't end up working against you. So the title of the message today is Spiritual Laws. We're going to look at three laws in the spirit. And they are impartial, they are inflexible, and if you get on the wrong side of these laws, they work against you. But if you get on the right side of them, if you honor them, if you respect them, um, they can they can not only not harm you, but they can lead to great, great victory. So let's talk about three spiritual laws. The first is, and this is point one, the law of sin and death. Paul says, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, Sin sprang to life, and I died. So every child is born into this world alive to God, even though they have a sin nature. And they don't die spiritually until they understand the law. And it's as if the law makes sin evident. What does that mean? How can we grasp? How how does the law, God's law, activate sin in me and end up killing me? The very law that was given for the protection of human beings ends up killing human beings. Well, let's talk about it. Augustine, the great uh, father of the faith, he wrote in his autobiography, it's called Confessions, the Confessions of St. Augustine, and he tells about this pear tree that his neighbors had, and him and his buddies stole these pears, and, uh, and then, then instead of eating them, ended up throwing them at, at pigs. And in his conversion experience, he was brought back to these pears, And he said, he said, the funny thing is, we, did, we didn't steal these pears because we were hungry. We didn't even eat them. He said, we didn't, we didn't steal the pears because they were good pears. We had better, I had better pears at home than these pears. He said, we stole these pears for the very reason that it was wrong. See, laws infringe on our own sovereignty. Laws laws say, I'm not God. And the way we exert our desire to be God, to be be sovereign over our life, is to make our own rules. And this is, of course, the original sin. This is all in the original sin. That, that you will become like God when you eat the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil and, and God's holding out on you and you, you can be your own God. And so he saw this delight in stealing 
for the very reason that it was wrong. I want to I read this quote to you from, from the confessions. Here's what he writes. In a perverse way, all men imitate you who put themselves far from you. What then was it that I loved in that theft of mine? Could I enjoy what was forbidden for no other reason except that it was forbidden? So there was a hotel on the, uh, right on the, the bay in Florida. And they were having trouble with people fishing off the balconies. And they, they were trying to figure out how to solve the problem of fishing off the balconies. And the staff got together, and here's what they decided. They had in every room, they had no fishing off the balconies. So here was their solution. They took all the signs down. And guess what? It solved the problem. What was going on? It wasn't that people had this great desire to fish off the balcony. It was that they didn't want anybody else telling them what to do, especially on vacation. The very, the very command, no fishing off the balcony, awakens something in them. You're not going to tell me to not fish off the balcony. I'll fish off the balcony if I want to. I paid for this room. This is sin. This is how sin works. We all want to be the rule maker. We all want to be sovereign. This is in every one of us. And when we act on it, we die spiritually. This is the law of sin and death. It says that sin was passed on to all generations through Adam and Eve's sin. Everybody, nobody got to choose whether you're born with sin in you. Everybody got a sin nature. But we die when we actually sin. We die spiritually. And it's funny because it doesn't matter whether you believe in spirituality, it doesn't matter whether you believe in spiritual life and spiritual death or it, see laws, it doesn't matter whether you believe in gravity. Gravity is just real. It works whether you believe in it or not. It doesn't require you to believe in it. And so the human race, spiritually, has died. A few weeks ago, we were at the National Convention, and I, uh, every morning, one of my favorite things to do when I'm at a hotel is, is to do my devotions with my coffee and then take a second cup of coffee down to the jacuzzi <laughs> and, uh, and have a cup of coffee and have my prayer time right in the jacuzzi. And I never look for a sign that says no drinking in the jacuzzi because that would awaken law. Anyway, whatever. Um, <laughs> And I, I was down there, I was, I was talking to a guy named Chuck, and Chuck is, uh, was the husband of one of the workers at the, at the convention, belonged to them. Chuck and I developed a relationship because he was actually down there two days, and the second day he was down there, his daughter was down there, Kennedy. 
Kennedy is 12 years old and she came to sit in the hot tub and I, I start interviewing Kennedy about their church and their youth group and they had just been to Azusa now and just a really cool young lady. And she had her friend with her, Sophia. And so I, I asked Sophia, are you in the youth group? No, I'm not in the, I'm not, I'm not in the, the youth group. And, uh, and so I'm just gonna do a little you know, 12-year-old girl. I'm gonna do a little spiritual interview. So tell me about what your, your church life. What church do you have? We don't go to church. Well, I said, certainly you, you've been in a church. Though so She said, I've never been in a church in my entire life. I said, no weddings, no funerals. You've never, never been in church. I said, uh, do you know about Jesus? She said, yep, I know about you. I said, tell me everything you know about Jesus. She said, I really don't know anything about Jesus. She said, I've got, I've got lots of friends that are Christians, but actually I don't know anything about Jesus. She's never been in a church and she knows nothing about Jesus. And she's 12. I mean, I can't go into some long treatise about, but I've got to try to explain this whole plan in a very brief, and so, I'm, I mean, I, in, in a very brief time, I talk about Israel and God making promises to Israel and Jesus being the fulfillment of him being the son of God and the son of man, because she's not wanting to not believe. She doesn't have an attitude. She just really doesn't know. In fact is, she's got a lot of Christian friends. She's probably always wondered. And I explain the gospel to her and I explain Jesus comes and in his love for us, even though we have sinned, even though this, this spiritual death is in us, Jesus still loves us and he comes and he, and he seeks us and he knocks at the, the door of our life. And I asked her, I said, Sophia, do you think Jesus is knocking at your door? She said, I don't, I don't know. I said, well, and I gave him, gave her many ways that Jesus knocks, but one of them is, is our own sinfulness and I said, do you, do you believe that you're, you're a sinner, that you have fallen short? And she's like, yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I said, uh, I said well, tell, me, tell me why you know that. And she said, well, my, I've got a lot of friends that are Christians and they've talked about sin. And so uh, I said, no, 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 it can't be about your friends. I said, what about you? I said, maybe this will help you. You know what Star Wars, the dark side, do you know that you have a dark side in you and that you can go dark and go in a way that's wrong? She said, oh yeah, yeah, I know about that. Well, that's kind of what sin is. It's kind of the dark side. And Jesus came to save us. And he's knocking on every life that will listen and Anyway, I, I could not lead this little girl in a sinner. I mean, it would just be inappropriate. I told her that. And I said, but here's the prayer. And you need to pray it before you go to bed. And I turned to Chuck. I said, bro, can you get her a Bible? Oh, she didn't have a Bible. Could you get her a Bible? I will get her a Bible. Kennedy will take her to youth group. The whole, the whole, the whole thing got set up. But um, great young girl. She just didn't know. She didn't know about spiritual loss. She didn't know about the law of sin that leads to death and that she needed to be saved. And, and maybe you're here today. 
And maybe even though you live in America and you're around church, maybe you didn't really realize how serious this thing is. This is really serious. Point two is the law of sin for a believer. First, it's the law of sin and death. Second, the law of sin for a believer. Here's what Paul says. This is in verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So the non-Christian has this law of sin that leads to spiritual death. The believer becomes aware that sin is still operating next to me. And that that sin will lead me into, not death, but into captivity. There is a law of sin that every believer has to understand. You can still be bound and captive even though you sincerely are a Christian. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom... The Christ set you free. Therefore, stand firm in your freedom and do not become enslaved again to a yoke of bondage. Sin is still with a believer. The sin nature, the, the carnal nature. And if you don't learn how to defeat it, it will capture you. It will lead you into captivity. Now, This is really important. There are two wrong responses to the sin nature, to this awareness of the law of sin. There are two wrong responses. Both of them lead to captivity, different type of captivity. One is the captivity of the legalistic Christian. And here's what that captivity looks like. I now, I am now a Christian... And I feel like it is my job to hide my sin. Everybody thinks I'm a Christian. I've told everybody I'm a Christian. And so I have to appear Christian. And so I spend a lot of time working on this appearance of being a Christian. And it's really important to me what everybody else thinks about because I certainly want to be a good example. And for all these reasons... But inwardly, I am captive to darkness. Legalistic Christianity will lead you to a double life. It will lead you to the life of the Pharisees, where you clean up the outside of the cup, but the inside is still filthy. And it leads to this captivity of called hypocrisy. And oftentimes, when people come out of legalistic Christianity, they go all the way over to something else called worldly Christianity. 
Here's what the worldly Christian does. The, the legalistic Christian hides his sin. The worldly Christian wears his sin. Here's what he says. Christianity is about Jesus forgiving me and does not require or even expect any type of transformation. God has to forgive me. I believe in Jesus. I work the system. God has to forgive me. I can do whatever I want to do. I can live however I want to live. And you end up becoming a captive to your own selfishness. And you, it, it leads you into deception where you think that, that God, God has to forgive you. God never has to forgive anybody. The honest Christian who fears God, like Paul, is reduced to a cry, even as a Christian. The cry is this. Who will save me from this body of death? We find out very soon in Christianity that even though Jesus has removed the punishment of sin and that one day, praise God, we're going to go to heaven when we die, that we need Jesus to deliver us not just from the punishment of sin, but from the power of sin today. Another way of saying it is not only can non-Christians not live the Christian life, Christians can't live the Christian life on their own. This is why Christianity isn't about an event. It isn't about that time that you came to the altar and you gave your heart to Jesus. That's, that's the beginning of Christianity. Yes, there are oftentimes very specific beginnings. A lot of times there aren't as specific. It's kind of like the blowing of the wind and I don't know how I knew it, but I know that Jesus loves me. I know that he saves me and I can't even tell you what was the time and place. It's just, I just know what's happened. Christianity is about a relationship where Jesus has to deliver me from the power of sin every day through the law of the spirit of life. Here's another way of saying it. Sin nature creates a tremendous humility in Christians. We really aren't better than other people. There's no such thing as good people and bad people. There's just guilty people before a holy God. That's all there is. And the call of Christianity is not to try harder. The way out of addiction is not to try harder. Christianity calls us to union with God through Jesus Christ. It is called to this union with God through which we find power to defeat sin that we're very aware is not just sheer willpower. It's God's power infusing us, infusing our wills with with Jesus. So here it is, law of the spirit of life. 
Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh. If you miss the beginning of how this thing works, you're never going to walk in freedom. Here's how it starts. God became man, and in Christ, he fulfilled the law perfectly for me and for you. When he died on the cross, because he was sinless, he could take your punishment and my punishment so that you and I can be offered forgiveness absolutely for free. And that God can say over our lives, there is now therefore no condemnation. There's no past condemnation for sin. There's no present condemnation for sin. And there's no future condemnation for sin. In fact, I'm off the legal system. It's not even a matter of under the law, it was guilt, fear, and shame were the constant motivation, the constant reminder, I'm short, I'm short, I'm short, I'm short. And what God does is he takes us off of the system of performance. Jesus performed for us, praise be to God. And he adopts us as his own children. I don't want to spoil next week's thunder because next, next week is on the favored sons and daughters of God. But he changes it to relationship so that there is no condemnation. We start out with this blanket forgiveness that God's judgment on sin for you has already happened. It happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. We do not live in fear of punishment. That has been removed off of us. We are now forgiven. We are cleansed. We are washed. And the reason why we obey is not because of fear or guilt or shame. It is a motivation of love and of gratitude for all he is and all he has done for us. When I displease my wife, I am not in legal trouble with the United States. And, and it's, it's a different, it's a completely different law. It's a completely different thing. It's relationship instead of Law. So he changed the whole thing to relationship. He fulfilled the law. He did for us what we could never do. Jesus died in our place. He gave us this forgiveness where there's no condemnation. And now he invites us to live in his victory, in the spirit of life, in Christ Jesus. So here we go. Verse four. In order, this is uh, eight, four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay? So what, what does this mean? This simply means this. That God, who, 
who imputed his righteousness, he gave us his righteousness as a gift through the Holy Spirit, doesn't just impute righteousness, but imparts his actual power, his actual life, so that we, through the Holy Spirit, through union with the Holy Spirit, can actually fulfill the law of love. We can actually love people. We can actually forgive people. We can actually walk in purity. We can actually walk with God. We can fulfill in our lives the things that other people can't because of the power of God. Pastor Tom, is there some way that you could make this a little easier to grasp? Yes, thank you. Appreciate the question. It leads me right into this next illustration. When the Model T was first introduced in the early 1900s, and the Model T, of course, was the first vehicle that they mass-produced, it was the car for the common man. It was a completely new concept at that time. And this guy pulls up to the, to the car dealership to look at this Model T, and he is just shaking his head, and he's, he's, he's just so impressed because it's, it's, the chrome is so shiny, and he kicks the tires, and that's neat, and the seats are leather, and he feels those leather seats and, and the steering mechanism. He just thinks it's a fantastic. This is just great. And he says to the guy, um, sold. Pays him the money, gets the deed of transfer, and proceeds to hook that car up to his horse. <laughs> and the car dealer says, "Sir, you don't, you don't, you don't understand. You you don't understand. The Model T comes with its own engine." You don't pull the Model T around. You, you get into it. You start it up. And you ride it. It has its own engine. Christianity comes with its own engine. He's called the Holy Spirit. What happens is our first reaction to the good news and to the forgiveness offered in Christ. This is just because this is how we deal. This is just our mindset. We we get saved. We used to be non-Christians. We were going all out for the world and for self-pleasure. And and now we're Christians and praise God, now I'm going to live for God. And we just hook that Christianity up to our willpower. And we start pulling. And depending on, on your personality type, some of us can pull pretty good. We can get that thing moving. It's hard. It's difficult. And we want everybody to know how hard it is. Christianity is about suffering. It's supposed to be hard. The reason why I laugh is because that was totally me in my, at the beginning of my Christian life. We were memorizing all these scriptures. I refused to memorize his yoke is easy and his burden is light because I didn't think it was true. I didn't want it to be true. I was mad at everybody that didn't accept Jesus because they were still sinners and I was living the good life even though I was angry and mad and frustrated. 
And so people get in, they, they start pulling this thing, they find out this is a lot harder than I thought it was, and this is usually your first experience with Christianity. C.S. Lewis said, you don't realize the power of sin in your life. It's like the wind. As long as you're going with the wind, it, you don't even know how fast the wind's blowing. But when you turn in repentance and you start going against the wind, you're like, whoa, sin had a much harder hold on me than I first anticipated. And I don't know if I can do this Christianity thing after all. Guess what? You can't. So what some people do They redefine God and they redefine Christianity. And Christianity isn't about that vehicle moving. It's just about it looking good. And God forgives us. We we don't ever change. We don't ever move in the spirit. We don't ever walk in the spirit. We're not looking for translation. But praise God, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Just like everybody else, but I've got a different belief. God forgives me, and he doesn't forgive you because you didn't accept Christ, and they're looking at your life that is exactly like their life, and they're trying to do the math. Why? Now, tell me, tell me again. What's going on here? So you're just saying, I pray a prayer. I don't have to make any changes. Nothing has to change. Pray a prayer, and then I'm in, and, and I wasn't in, but I pray this prayer, and I'm in. Do you see why the world, that, that's not... That's not convincing to the world. They're not, that's not convincing that we've got truth and they don't when we live just like that. Bible says wisdom is vindicated by its deeds. If there is no changed life, there is no reason why somebody's going to ask a reason for the hope that is within us. So, Christianity is actually about learning how to fill up that gas tank and to live from the rest of God. To, yes, be diligent, Paul says. This is Hebrews 4, 9, Be diligent to enter that rest. Yes, there is, there's things you have to do. There There are ways to get filled. The Christian life, we must be filled with the Spirit. We must be filled. How many know that it's a pain to have to stop at the gas station and fill up your car. Why can't they just always be filled with gas? But you know what? It's way better than walking, isn't it? It takes really relatively little effort to pull over at the station, to stop your life, to get that thing out, and to pour gas in. And Jesus has given us free gas. He's given us free gas. It's actually not free. It's just all on his account. Charge it to his account. Charge it to his account. He paid for it all. So that you and I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. So God's given us, in the the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, God gives us two weapons. One, this blanket forgiveness, whereby there is no condemnation. We are totally accepted. We are totally in. We have to, Christianity starts with you accepting that God accepts you. 
You accepting that Jesus died for me and in Christ, I am as in as I will ever be. He adopts me as his own child. In Christ, everything becomes mine immediately. The believer's job is to believe. I will grant that's a lot to believe. But when you see the goodness of God and the love of God, you realize this is how he planned it. So it starts with me being forgiven. And then me saying this cry that comes from my heart. And you usually have to walk with, try, try Christianity on your own for a while to come to that cry. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me? I believe something beautiful, but I'm not living something beautiful. Who can save me from this body of sin and death that is taking me captive, even though I'm sincere, even though I know God loves me? Who can save me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. I've got a new beginning. And then I've got access to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, but be, be being filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. Because through the spirit of life, I put to death the deeds of the flesh. It doesn't, doesn't say I don't have them anymore. It says they, don't, they can't conquer me anymore. I can walk free when I walk in the spirit. So maybe you have noticed this. Maybe you haven't. Um, they're working on our parking lot. Has anybody noticed that? You might be wondering what is going on in that parking lot precious little right now. We're we're getting the entire parking lot, all three parking lots, daycare, school, and church. It's going to be completely replaced June 5th through like the 12th. They're going to completely redo the whole thing. The problem was they did the cement work first, and for some reason they did it a month earlier. Well, we got a little bad news. How many know there's usually bad news with construction? Here's the bad news. There is one section of our parking lot. It's the, it, it, in the main parking lot, like the back two-thirds, is on swampland. And the foundation, the first time they did it, they laid it, they just went over the clay and laid it. And because of that, when water comes, it can't drain properly, so it cracks the blacktop. So what they do, if they want us to do it, or if we want to do it, if we want them to do it, to do it right, they need to come in with dump trucks, pull out all of the clay, and then bring gravel back in and lay a whole new foundation for that back two-thirds so that when we put the blacktop on top of it, it will not crack. To the tune of $60,000 extra dollars. You see why that's bad news? Are we all together? That's bad news. So we had approved a certain amount. So we sent an email out to all of the elders. And elder after elder after elder after elder sent back. They're completely unanimous. Let's do it right. Let's pay the price... And do it right. Otherwise, we're going to end up with the exact same problem 
that we're solving. So God's laying a new foundation because the old foundation didn't work. You know what today is? It's Pentecost Sunday. This is the day of the year that celebrates the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I saw something this week that I hadn't seen before. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And and keep in mind, these disciples are now very excited. They've seen Jesus alive from the dead. They've traveled with him for three years. They've seen a lot happen. And they want to vindicate themselves. They all ran. They all ran scared. And they can't wait to prove themselves again. Now that it's all true. Now that they're, and they, you know, they had had energy before. They had said, well, we'll die for you. Peter said it, but it says they all said it. We will do this for you. And they are excited now. It is true. They are ready to go. And Jesus says to them this, go, go to Jerusalem and wait. Go and wait. Use all of your excitement to wait. Practice being. Not many days from now, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And when the Holy Spirit fills you, now it's time to restart this thing. Folks, Jesus is laying a new foundation. The old foundation of human energy that leads to either us hiding sin or wearing sin That foundation doesn't work. It produces a Christianity that is anemic. He's he's relaying the foundation in all of our lives. He loves us. Do you know how hard it is for him to see us with a brick wall in front of us, banging our head on it? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start reading and praying. I I said I was. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Bang, 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 bang. He's like, you're you're not going to do it. I'm going to get out of this addiction. I love God. I'm I'm not going to do it ever again. And, and, And when it's all willpower... He's just like, no, you're going to find out that law of sin that can really only cause you to cry out, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? The only way to win is through Christ. Through us dying to the old man. Carnal nature never gets better. There's no plan to change the carnal nature. You actually have to learn how to live dead to it and alive to resurrection power. You know, in a few weeks, I think it might be the 29th, we're doing water baptisms. There's a, there's a sign up out there. What we do in water baptism 
is we proclaim how you live victoriously in the Christian life. It is through identification with Christ, through identification with his death. That's what going down into the water is and coming out, which is his resurrection life. We are saved, not just from sin's punishment, but from its power every day through living in the death and resurrection of Christ. And what water baptism is, is when you testify about that. It is when you say this is how I live the Christian life. This is how it's made. I am saved, not just one day, but today through the death and resurrection of Jesus and my identification with it. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. If you have not been water baptized as a believer, I encourage you to sign up today. The 29th. God wants his people to live in victory. He said, go and wait. Wait. Say no to your flesh. Say no to your own energy. Say no to your own ability. Go and wait because my plan is that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does verse 8 say? Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You're still loved by God. You're still accepted by God. But as long as you're dragging your Christianity around by willpower, no matter how hard you're working, you cannot please God. He is ordained. You will not please him that way. And even though you're loved and accepted in your frustration, you said, well, Christianity isn't even supposed to move. This is just the car and doesn't it look nice? But I'm no different than it's just... Yeah, we're just, we just sit here. You're still loved. You're still accepted. But you can't please God that way. God's ordained it. It's not just Old Testament or New Testament, it's Old Testament. God said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by human might or human power. God ordained, this is how we're going to win. In union with him. So here's, here's how I end. Spiritual loss, impartial to anybody. Spiritual loss come off as being very cold, like any law does. But know this. God is not impartial. God is very partial. God loves you. Jesus died for you. I was with a young man yesterday. We had... A golf outing. See how hard a pastor's life is. (laughs) We had a a golf outing that we have every year, and it's become a community of men of three generations. There's there's young men, there are middle-aged men, which I'm in the middle age. Do not put me in the old age. Do not. (laughs) And then there's older men that are in their 60s and 70s, okay? Did you hear what I said? Older, not old, older. You know the definition of old age? It's somebody that's 10 years older than whatever you are right now. So that's, that's, that's how, how you determine whether somebody's old. Anyway, um, that was free. I, I've, got, I've got to make this point, and then we're done. 
So this young man, I have, I love this kid. He's, he's probably 30 and he's just, he's got a great job in the, in the, in the Twin Cities and um, from a great family. It's a pastor's home, but just a great family in every way. And, but for the last two years, there's just been no light in his eyes. I, I talked to him about what Jesus is doing in me and, and it's almost like it's been a foreign language to him because his testimony has been very, very different than mine. And, um, but we play golf together and we talk about it and we talk about what's going on in his life. And, uh, and, but yesterday, he was all lit up. And he's like, he's like I, I, I have, I've had a transformation. I said, tell me about it. Please tell me about it. He said, well... He said, last summer, I, I went through uh, anxiety attacks. He said, I've never had anxiety attacks before, and I was, I was having anxiety attacks, and it led me to depression. And um, He said, I quit my job. And for two months, I moved out to California, and I lived with uh, my brother and his family, and, and there's, a, there's a training school out there that their whole, the whole focus out there is the goodness of God, and and. Uh, God's love and God's grace and God's goodness that is available to us in Christ. And he just started visiting classes with his brother. And he said, I realized, I realized something. God, I didn't believe God was good. Theologically, I believed he was good. But in my heart, in my identity, I didn't really believe that God loved me, that God was for me, that God wanted me to win. And he said, out there when I was doing, quote, nothing, just, just going to class and hearing the truth and the testimonies day after day of the goodness of God, of the goodness of God, something awakened in him. Oh my, what if it's all true? What if I really am loved? What if this was never about my performance? He said, he said, Pastor Tom, he said, I felt like I was going through the motions and I was tired. And then he rediscovered, or maybe discovered for the first time, the goodness of God. And he said, now I'm changed. Christianity isn't my duty. It's my delight. It's not my have to. It's my want to. And you could just see it in his eyes. What happened to that young man? Same thing that's happening to our parking lot, folks. He was building very sincerely and for many years on a wrong foundation. And that foundation of performance-based Christianity cannot, it can't take water. It will crack. It will, you will show cracks all over the place and then be living your life trying to hide the cracks. God wants to change the foundation. Could we bow our heads for a moment, close our eyes? There's two, two groups of people I want to pray for. The first, first is this. 
you're here today, and no matter maybe how much you've been around church or not been around church, you know for sure that you have been under that spirit, of that law of sin and death. That you have been on the dark side. And today, you want to admit it. You want to acknowledge it. And you want to ask Jesus to save you. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. The Bible says the Holy Spirit was given to convict the world of their need for a Savior. And so if you feel that today, if you feel like you need a Savior today, if you need to be saved from yourself today, you are in the right place. God loves you. It is his plan to save us. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And folks, this is how it works. Jesus will only knock. He can knock loudly, but he will not force your door down. He invites you. He knocks. He shows you. We have to own this spiritual law that kills us to be saved. So if that is you, I want to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand right now, high enough and long enough for me to see it all over this place? And I'm gonna pray for you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. I've got those two hands over here. Bless you. You can put those down. I got this hand over here. Thanks, bro. Got you, bro. Thank you. I got that hand way in the back. I'm up in the balcony now. Anybody by upraised hand? Anybody else by upraised hand? We're gonna pray and then we're gonna, we're almost done. Okay, if you raised your hand, would you just slip it over your heart right now? Pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. God, I repent. I own that I've wanted to be my own sovereign rule maker. I own that I have broken your loss. I am a sinner that deserves to die. But I believe you Love me. I believe you died for me on the cross and were raised from the dead for my forgiveness. And Jesus, I'm opening the door of my heart now and I'm asking you to come in and save me and wash me and forgive me and cleanse me and adopt me to be your own child. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Could we be, could we stand?